I knew that I wanted to get myself out of this kind of compliance, you know, low value add, very tactical relationship with a customer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of Where Accountants Go. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA, and your host for this podcast. Well, today, we have an interesting guest for you. His nickname is Inspector Gadget. And yes, I said Inspector Gadget, the guy with the trench coat. David Slack joined us for the show. And he's one of those accountants whose interest took him into the tech field very early in his career as an accountant. He was always interested in science and engineering, and that tech interest, so to speak, followed him into his accounting career. He much more enjoyed figuring out how to do things better for clients through the use of better systems rather than some of the more you know, traditional compliance work that others enjoy. This is going to be a valuable episode for you on two fronts, actually. One, obviously, if you have an interest in technology, you'll find value in this. But secondly, if you've ever considered self-employment or being in a partnership before, David shares quite a bit of general business wisdom that actually I hadn't counted on when I scheduled this. It was just a really pleasant bonus to the interview. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of accounting career-focused materials there for you. And now we have a new feedback or leave a question tool that you can use as well. Just click on Ask Mark on the top menu bar and you can record in your own voice a question or feedback using your computer microphone or your phone. It's very simple. Just go to www.whereaccountantsgo.com and click on Ask Mark. And from there, you can record from whatever device you're using. And depending on the questions we get, we may actually play some of them on the air. We'll have to play that by ear. But any feedback you have, we'd love to hear it. Once again, just click on Ask Mark at whereaccountantsgo.com. And on that note, actually, I did want to give a shout out to our latest reviewer on Amazon. We had a new book review left by K-A-Y-I-T-E-S-E-K-A-T-C-I, I think. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that some way, but thank you very much. I always appreciate reviews on the podcast and the books. Thank you so, so much. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Here's David C. Slack, a.k.a. Inspector Gadget. Hey, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Well, to bring the audience up to speed, I have David C. Slack from RKLE Solutions on the phone, or aka Inspector Gadget. I noticed David from Accounting Today's list of the top 100 most influential people in accounting, but it was Inspector Gadget nickname that sort of caught my eye. Honestly, though, I just thought it was a side comment, you know, something creative by the author of that list, you know, nothing really serious. But when I did a little further investigation into it, it turns out that it's a nickname that he has very deservedly earned and that he even has the outfit to go along with it. It's pretty cool. Now, don't shut off the podcast and go check it out now. But after this recording, you definitely need to look him up online. Very cool outfit. Well, David, I definitely want to get into the story of how that has all come to be. But first, I think it's important we cover the early days so the audience understands how your career started you know, in the first place and how transformed and morphed over the years. And particularly the economics degree, that was sort of interesting to me personally. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career? 
in the first place. Oh, yeah, goodness. You know, I was always enjoyed working with numbers in science and, you know, mechanical engineering type subject matter. And I went to school at UCLA and put myself through school. And at the time, they didn't have an accounting degree per se, but you could essentially take all the accounting coursework that if, in fact, they did offer a degree, that's what I would have graduated with. So the closest thing they had was an economics degree. And so that's what I ended up doing. And I actually found having that kind of background at the same time or in addition to all of the accounting coursework has been a pretty terrific combination. It gives me not just the you know, kind of the tactical aspect of accounting, but the strategic or the really kind of the analytical mindset that econ brings to the picture. So I'm really you know, kind of delighted that all uh, played out that way. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I was curious. I did notice your CPA. Did you end up having to go back and get additional hours or at that time? I know it says, well, it's a ways back. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was a ways back. And now, uh, you know, I had all the coursework. And actually, I take that back. I needed one more class. I had to take one extra class after I graduated in order to get the coursework requirements taken care of. But at the time, it was still the big eight. I interviewed with all of the big eight. I got offers, interestingly enough, from seven of them. And the one that I didn't get an offer from is out of business now. And so, but I actually was doing, I had, like I said, I put myself through school and uh, was doing even accounting work back when I was in college. So worked in a finance and accounting department, the student association at UCLA. And so I had a lot of practical experience when I graduated, ended up uh, you know, choosing to go with Pricewaterhouse, really felt like that was a good fit for me personally, and uh, really viewed that as a kind of a continuation of my education. When I graduated, I said, you know, goodness, I still don't know what I really want to do when I grow up. So how can I continue to you know, learn and discover more? And I really looked at public accounting and saying, that's a terrific opportunity to go out to a number of different client environments, different, different industries, different stages of growth or maturity. And what you're able to, to really kind of glean from all of that was just tremendous. Like I said, it really just felt like a real nice extension of my learning. So I look at my learning and it didn't stop. It doesn't stop today, by the way. It never stops. But my learning you know, in the early days was college into public accounting. And that really, I think, you know, helped me then set my course for what I wanted to do a little bit more day to day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious, just because we were talking about the 80s timeframe that you were at, at Pricewaterhouse, did you start in a role that was purely audit or? I did. Little... Okay. I started on the audit trail. And I dealt with a combination of, you know, some very large clients as well as some very small startup. But all the while, like I said, during the early days at the PW, I kept thinking, if I were to go off and do my own thing, what would that be? Because there was always something, even in my younger days, I thought, you know, I'd love to have my own business. I'd love to be self-employed. And that's the part I just didn't, you know, have answers to. What would that be? And so I, that's why I said, that, you know, kind of the continuation of the learning that happened, you know, in my time in public accounting was just priceless or price waterhouse less. Bad pun. So no, it was, it was invaluable. That's for certain. It just helped me kind of get some clarity as to where I wanted to go from there. We've had at least half a dozen PwC people on the show in the 150 plus episodes. You're the first person to make that joke, though. <laughs> and candidly, I never know where that stuff comes from. It just comes out. I'm going, there it is. I, we just got to deal with it now. <laughs> That's too funny. Too funny. It's interesting. This may be a good transition because you mentioned you always wanted to do your own thing. And I did find it interesting. From what I'm seeing online, it looks like you were with Price Waterhouse for two years and then started your own firm. And I know there's probably more to the story than that, though. So can you walk us through how that sure. transition happened? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I actually was with Pricewaterhouse for two years, but then went to work in private industry for two more. And that's really where I kind of fell in love with kind of the technology. So this will go ahead and put some dates on some of this. This is back when the IBM PC was first coming out and Lotus 123 was first coming to market. And so when you think about spreadsheets and personal computers, and I looked at that and I thought, boy, this is going to be pretty dramatic in the effect or the impact that, you know, a PC along with any software, Lotus 123 included, could have for an organization. I think this is where there's some real value to be had. And I knew that I wanted to get myself out of this kind of compliance, you know, low value add, you know, very tactical you know, relationship with a customer. I really wanted to move toward a consultative value add, very strategic role. And I looked at what was just starting to happen with computers and the PC and some of that, the initial products coming to market and said, there's a tremendous value opportunity. And that's where I'd like to focus my attention. And so, and I didn't coin this kind of phrase, but I've heard others use it. I mean, I kind of live at the intersection of accounting and technology because I look at what technology can do and how it can make us all more productive every day. And that is really since those early days, that's been kind of my focus. How do we get the most out of the tools that we use each and every day? Okay. Did you end up starting a practice focused on accounting or systems? Or how did that happen? Yeah. So when I finished up in private industry, I actually approached some of the guys that I had uh, met and known through PW. We ended up starting our own firm. And in those early days, we did not bring a book of business with us. So the early days were very much hand-to-hand or hand-to-mouth, just trying to build the client base, build the clientele. And for our part, looking at the services that many of those early customers wanted and needed, I needed to, to get myself involved in tax. So I did tax returns in the early days and I very clearly identified that that's absolutely not what I wanted to do going forward because I wasn't very good at it. I didn't enjoy it. In fact, it was really kind of like cod liver oil every day that I had to do that. To this day, I tell people, I don't do taxes in the world's a safer place because of it. Some people have the passion and the ability or the aptitude for it. I do not. So I was glad that that was only the first formative few years of the firm. I was able to pretty quickly start rotating into that very kind of consultative, technology-oriented value add, try to establish that portion of a practice and then start to build that out. Okay. How long did that practice last? Well, yeah. So that was the beginning of what would ultimately become Arxis. Uh, We ended up doing a merger a handful of years later. So yeah, I've been self-employed for almost 30 years. And so it's been a good long while. And I would tell you that we started our initial firm, initial partnership back in 1989. So it was uh, quite a bit back there. So yeah, 30 years. And like I said, really started from a standing stop. And you know, so let's build from scratch. And that's exactly what we did. Okay. What was the firm like before you you merged it with Arxis? I didn't realize that was due to a merger. So essentially, we went from an accounting partnership, and then from there, we created a division of the company that we called ITG, Information Technology Group. And it's that collective accounting partnership and ITG that then we merged with another group of practitioners in town. And when we brought it all together, we looked at each other and said, we want to make sure that we feel like we have the ability to identify the different aspects of the business based upon the respective focus. And we came up with the name Arxis. 
we closed ourselves in a conference room and said, we're not leaving here until we come up with a common name that we all agree on. And so Arxa stands for a citadel or fortress. It's Greek. And we said, so great, that'll be Arxis Financial, Arxis Technology, Arxis Wealth Management. And so there was four partners and we had an opportunity to say, look, each of us has our area of focus, but we also have some common brand identification through the moniker Arxis. So We've done some acquisitions over the years, but all of it uh, just continuing to build upon the foundation that we started with way back when we uh, were just the small accounting partnership that I kind of described earlier. Okay. Naming a business so hard. I I know this is going off on a tangent, but oh gosh, I've done it a few times. It's painful. It is. It is. I don't know about you. I always love the name in the beginning. And then after I live with it a little while, I'm thinking, eh, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those where you just go, okay, it is what it is. And as I mentioned, we kind of, you know, kind of locked ourselves in a conference room so no one's leaving until we have a name. And then you get done with it and go, wow, is that our best work? I'm not sure. It is what it is. That's the name we're moving forward with. But it's always one of those going, I hope that was a good idea. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. Exactly. Well, I wouldn't be doing my job if we didn't talk about Arxis because it looks like maybe half your life. It <laughs> is. Exactly right. Yep. <laughs> Correct. So take us through some of the milestones with those 20-something years at Arxis. I mean, what are you proud of that, that came out of that time? And what were, you know, I guess some of the wins, some of the harder lessons learned? And tell us about that time. Yeah. Every time I talk about being self-employed and whether it's in, you know, to student groups or to whomever, you know, one of the things I always share is I said, you know what, you know, because this is something I think too often when you're kind of all excited to get started, you know, and create your own thing, I remind people, I said, you know, there could be times, there may very well be times that it's the hardest you've ever worked for minimum wage in your life. So just make sure you have an appetite for that as well. So whatever it is, you have to be passionate about doing it. It has to be something that you're going to enjoy no matter what, that it's not just a money play or not just something you're doing for for that reason alone. And so I was very vested and very anxious to be self-employed, to be able to kind of wake up each day, put my feet on the floor and say, this is what I want to do today. And at the same time, understanding that it wasn't always going to be easy or it wasn't just going to rain down dollars from heaven as it were. But I would tell you in the early days, because we built from scratch or started from a standing stop, was pretty limited dollars early on. And so we had some touch and go moments in the early years, that's for sure. But, you know, ultimately got ourselves to a place where we were, you know, kind of reached some critical mass and, you know, were able to get the business going. And so I would tell you the technology business, though especially back in the early days, the publishers were creating product and you know, trying to figure things out and coming to market with new software for the personal computing platform. And at the same time, we were trying to figure out where's our opportunity to add value in that whole process. And so as we you know, kind of went through that whole journey you know, with the vendors, one of the things we quickly learned is that you know, the work we were doing was largely non-recurring. So it was one of those where you'd go in, you do the, you help them get the systems all set up and get the reports written and get them tucked in and comfortable and, and good to go. And the year over year recurring aspect of any consulting services or value add, you know, it, while it didn't go off a cliff, it really was just a fraction in future years of what it was when you initially did the product sale and, you know, the, the implementation. So we, Kind of the best orientation that someone had shared with me, and I kind of have carried this uh, for all these years with me as well, is when you're a consultant, it's best to think of yourself as constantly or perpetually unemployed. And that way, you're always looking for that next 
venture, that next project to work on. I've talked to enough folks over the years, you know, they, they pour themselves into the project that they're working on and then that wraps up and then they're going, whew, I don't have anything else to work on. And so it was a balance that we had to learn to strike between feeding the engine or, you know, nurturing opportunities and hopefully identifying where the next projects were going to come from. And at the same time, having the competency to do the work that you committed to doing. And so, and that's what ultimately then laid the foundation that we started building our teams on. And so we're able to add teams and, you know, build, build that staff out. And so very quickly, the technology portion of the accounting practice became 50%, 60%, 70% of what we were doing. So it clearly was the tail wagging the dog was the technology you know, aspect. And, and like I said, we grew up in the industry with the publishers. We had great relationships. We saw publishers win. We saw publishers lose or fail. And I think for our part, one of the things we also were very mindful of is my business partner. And I was very blessed to be able to partner with a gentleman, Bob Gaby, who, you know, similarly amazingly talented, and, you know, great vision for where the industry was going as well. And I think uh, the two of us as business partners were able to really kind of decipher or or interpret and even project what's probably going to succeed here and probably what doesn't you know have a future and so when you're in any kind of rapidly changing industry, there's a game of, of guessing as well. And I'll call it a game of luck or chance, but to be able to understand you know, pretty quickly, what is it you're looking at and make some judgment calls? What do we think is going to succeed here? And where do we not want to make investments? And so you talk about wins and loses or wins and losses or things that we did well, where were the things challenging? You know, the things that were challenging is when you made investments and those investments didn't pan out. And some of those investments could have been significant. We set up a training center at one point thinking, okay, we'll set up a you know, training center and conduct regular in-house training for, you know, invite clients and product users to come in. And, and it just never was the revenue center we hoped it would become. And so that wasn't a, a long-lived exercise. That, that lasted probably several years. We said, you know what, that's not what we want to do. We had a hardware uh, support team. So we had a group of, I think, five guys at the time doing that. And that's very much a fire engine business, fire engine and fire hose business. The phone rings and you got to jump in the truck and go put out the fires because when computers are down, people you know want to get things fixed. And so we had that piece of the business and we said, you know what, I, that's uh, not sure. And it was incredibly tight margins too. We said, that's probably not where we want to continue to invest a lot of time too. So we had pieces of the practice that we established and then discontinuing those pieces is probably one of the tougher things we've ever done because you're looking at something and saying, well, it's still generating dollars and we've made a big investment, but you're looking at it going, yeah, but it's just never going to thrive and we'd be better off putting our energy and our dollars elsewhere. So those are just some of some examples of some of the things that we've done you know, over the years. But you know, in the end, it's uh, every single day you're looking at it and saying, where is our energy and capital best spent? And that's how we you know, continue to make our decisions. Sure. Yeah, you know, those sunk cost decisions, always so obvious when you're on the outside looking in at someone else having to go through that. But when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's not quite as basic. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's personal, it gets personal too. It's like, wow, we put so much into this. And, you know, then when you're even looking at team members and going, guys, we've decided to discontinue this portion of the practice. And they look at you and go, what? I sure didn't expect that outcome. And these are the things they don't necessarily teach you in school. It's, you know, some of the soft skills, it's some of the personnel aspects of things, it's some of the personal aspects of things that you really don't cover in a university setting. And so I say that it's always helpful if you can find some mentors.
mentors, some folks who've maybe gone before you, understand when they've been faced with some of these things, how have they approached it, how have they kind of worked their way through it. And that's been helpful over the years as well. So what led to the transition from Arxis to RKLE Solutions? Did you exit Arxis or was there some kind of merger there? Or how, how did yeah, that so work? I mentioned my business partner, Bob Gaby, previously. So Bob and I were at a place where we said, you know what, going forward, we would love to be able to take all that we've done and built with Arxis and pass it along to the next generation. But as we worked within our own management team, our group, I think what we learned is they said, we love working for you guys. We think you guys have amazing vision. I mean, you guys truly are have some extraordinary insight, but just, I don't aspire to become a partner. I don't aspire to take over an ownership role. Happy to be in a leadership role, but don't want to be in an ownership role. It's just not what motivates me. What motivates me is to work for you guys and continue to do my all and my best for you. So Bob and I continue to have some of these conversations internally and said, well, wait, you know, we want to make certain that the business survives us. So it continues even after we're done, you know, we're looking to retire. And we also want to make sure that all the team members that uh, we've kind of hired and, and have been just so um, such amazing group of folks to work with over all these years, that they have a home too, that we don't just come to some point in the future and walk in the office and go, guys, this is it. This is the day we turn the lights out because we're done. So we said, you know, is there an opportunity to monetize our exit, to make sure that it's a stable transition? and give a home to our team members as they you know, continue on in their careers, that all survives and continues on even after Bob and I decided it's time for us to step out or step back and step out. We were under no rush to do it. So there wasn't a, you know, a fire underneath us. There was no ticking clock. So we had to really had an opportunity to be very thoughtful about what we thought that might look like. And so we thought about other CPA firms. We thought about other firms, technology firms that were just pure play technology firms. Would our team kind of hopefully drop in and, you know, ultimately, you know, be able to continue doing what they're doing? Where would it give us some kind of clarity in terms of our own career path from that point forward? through to retirement. So I think all of it was part of that exercise. And it took us several years. It wasn't something we did quickly. We did a lot of uh, match.com, you know, a lot of swipe right, swipe left type of thing and saying, look, we think this is a possible match. Would you like to go on a date? So we did a lot of talking, a lot of exploring, a lot of thinking and pondering. Even found a fair number of firms that said, we'd love to have half of you or a third of you, or we'd like these resources, but you know, everything else of no interest to us. And we said, that doesn't work because that's just you coming in and doing a a talent grab or an asset grab. It doesn't make sense to us. That's not what our motivation is here. We really are looking for some continuity, some consistency, something that's going to be a real win-win-win for whoever we merge with, you know, for Bob and I uh, as the original founders and owners and for our team. And that was as important, if not the most important thing in all of it. So that was part of the, just the grand strategy, but there was no ticking clock on that one. So that helped tremendously. Okay. I see your title there at RKL, Chief Cloud Officer. What's involved with being the Chief Cloud Officer, I guess? Tell us what your role is like now. Sure. So the industry, as I said early on, was constantly changing and continues to be constantly moving, constantly growing, changing, you know, organism as it were. And so in the last five to seven years, there's been finally uh, some maturity that started to come to fruition in and around cloud or SaaS multi-tenant solutions. And so in the early days of our careers, it was all on-premise applications and servers, you know, lots of local infrastructure to support the 
computing that any organization needed to do. Now, so much of the technology has been outsourced or essentially pushed back to the publishers. And so now I come to market with a basically an app or with a product that you can run from a web browser. And you don't need to have a heavy internal IT footprint. And in the early days, it was, you know, whatever, Earthlink or Gmail or Yahoo or just simple horizontal applications like email or CRM. But, you know, over the years, over the last few years, there's been some real maturity now that's happened. And so now even some of the more unique computing products and so ERP solutions and, you know, payroll, HR, and even across for the accounting firms listening or accountants that are more pure play accounting firms or accountants, the, the practice management tools, the tax prep products, the wealth management solutions, most all of those today. If I'm any publisher, software publisher today, I'm not creating or even continuing to do development work around my on-premise applications. Everybody today is working on their cloud-based alternatives. And so my job within RKL is to really kind of help from a strategic as well as from a tactical perspective, identify those customers in those environments that are, are, are ready to move, you know, just hopefully gain tremendous value from making that transition from on-prem orientation to a cloud-based alternatives. And so it's almost like starting over again, but with the wisdom of all the years behind us. So that's been the really fantastic part about it. It's kind of like an, another full swing at the plate without having to necessarily learn everything all over again. You get the wisdom of what you did the first time and now you get a chance to evaluate the new products and move customers into those new solutions as they become essentially capable and ready for deployment into those environments. That's a fun new challenge, I'm sure. Definitely. Oh, it's a blast. <laughs> I love my job. It's, it's funny because when RKL acquired us, the one thing Bob and I were both passionate about is we're not done yet. We want to keep working. We love what we do and we're having so much fun doing it. And we think there's a lot of value there. So it was a win-win-win. And part of that was just about making certain uh, that we had an opportunity to kind of bring that value to this new audience. So while I've been at this for a number of years and, you know, in some respects, I you know maybe could have retired, I look at it and go, I'm not done yet. So I love learning every day. I love sharing that with uh, our client base on a regular basis. So I'll stop as soon as I stop having fun and I'm nowhere close at this point. <laughs> so tell me about the nickname Inspector Gadget. Like I mentioned, I saw the photo that you pointed out to me, and I'm assuming that the nickname came before the photo. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> How did you end up with that nickname? <laughs> so Inspector Gadget was a uh movies, it's been cartoons. We used to go to the Comdex show, started going to the Consumer Electronics show. In fact, I leave tomorrow morning for this year's Consumer Electronics show. So I do myself and a group of my peers, we'll all meet in Vegas, we'll wander the aisles, we'll try to understand the latest technology and think about what's the trends, what's going on. You know, and every year I was passionate about, you know, sharing that. And I put together technology updates or presentations. I've done a lot of, of continuing education over all these years for or both the AICPA, the CalCPA, different state societies, discussion groups, different courses and conferences now have kind of found me out now. So I do speaking in front of not just CPA groups, but other industry groups as well. But the Inspector Gadget persona or that hook has been the one that's been by far the most appealing. And one of the reasons why is because it's not just because it's fun, it's unique, it's different, it's interesting, but it's all done with a bent towards what's the latest technology and how can I use it to work more effectively. 
And if you think about what I shared with you just a little bit ago, that's exactly what I said. I mean, that's been my passion since I started in business way back on day one, leveraging the tools to work smarter, better every day. And that's really kind of, you know, the, the foundation for Inspector Gadget as well. So where did the moniker come from? Interestingly enough, we were at a white elephant party years and years ago. And, you know, somebody in the group was in the movie business and a little gift package they had put together had the trench coat from the movie. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going home with a trench coat. What do I do with a trench coat? And then I thought, wait a minute, I do all this gadgety stuff. And this is a trench coat from the Inspector Gadget movie. How silly would it be to show up at a presentation in this trench coat? And yes, I had to go out and buy a fedora. So I had to go out and buy the hat. But how fun would that be? And all of a sudden, people thought, okay, this is a real blast. This guy knows his stuff. He's having fun. What he's presenting is really interesting. And at the same time, he shows up in these wacky costumes. And so I've shown up in all sorts of costumes over the years, but the name has always stuck that it's Inspector Gadget, and the idea is it's the latest technology. <laughs> that, that, that is pretty cool. And, and you play the part, you know, so yeah, it I do. It that much more fun. <laughs> I do. I will tell you, there are, depending on the conference, I won't always necessarily wear the hat and the uh, trench coat because it gets pretty warm up on stage and nobody ever knows that. It's like, oh my Lord, who knew a trench coat could be so warm? But it's been fun. I've always had a blast doing it. So I look at it and go, as somebody said years ago, my mission is life is to have fun and make money. And I will tell you, Inspector Gadget is just such a nice parallel with what I do professionally during the day, helping our clientele with the latest technology. And it gives me an opportunity to keep myself up to date what's going on at the same time, share that with our client base and others and really position us as an organization that's like, wow, these guys know their stuff and guessing they can make a real impact on our business. So it's been a nice marketing or a nice, real nice outreach thing that we do as well. So Inspector Gadget is not just fun to do. It's part of our marketing strategy, even at this point. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Who knew, right? Yes. (laughs) I really thought it was just a creative description for you that the writer of that list for accounting today had (laughs) put on there when I first saw it. So yeah, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, the real deal. I'm curious. You said you go to the Comdex show frequently. When you go there, do, do you find practical applications quickly for some of the things you learn, or is it just more that you have an interest in technology and it sort of keeps the creative juices flowing? I would say both. So it's the Consumer Electronics Show. It's been rebranded CES. So just CES now, huge show, you know, over 100,000 attendees every year. And as we attend that show every year, yeah, you find the weird, the wacky, the wild and stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with your day job. And yet at the same time, you're kind of touching on everything from, you know, IT security and artificial intelligence and 5G is all the rage right now. So continuing to see how that's showing up in product. We do have a number of direct vendors meetings while we're there. So Lenovo, HP, and others. And so you have an opportunity to meet directly with some of the manufacturers, look at their product line. Think about what uh, voice assistants are doing, you know, not just for home, but think about the opportunity they're going to represent in the workplace in the years going forward. So you're seeing just such an intertwining of what maybe starts off as consumer technology, but winds up with very practical business applications. And so, yes, it does get the juices flowing and you definitely are, you know, thoughtfully considering what is the business application of this. 
But it's pretty amazing how much of that really is impactful for all of us. And so people are starting home offices. People are saying, we're going to support a mobile workforce. Well, there's a lot of mobility or mobile-based solutions on display. And what does that workspace look like for that remote workforce? And so again, as much as you may think it's mostly big screen TVs and smart toasters, the reality is that the technology, you know, all the publishers, all the manufacturers are looking for opportunities to take that technology and come up with a smarter outcome. And it impacts us not just in the workplace, but it impacts us throughout the day. But it gives us more quality time. It makes for happier employees. It makes for, you know, a better commute for those people who do commute. It makes for a better work experience for those who are maybe working in remote environments. So like I said, the opportunity to take this, what you're exposed to, and say, how does that play back against kind of a, a nine to five or, a, you know, job five days a week? There's more overlap than you might otherwise initially suspect. Okay. I didn't think about the vendor perspective also or, you know, those, those meetings, that kind of thing. But that makes a lot of sense. A lot of good points. Mm-hmm. I end every podcast with the same three questions, and we probably should get to those. One last question before we do, though. Sure. A large part of our audience is made up what I call up-and-coming professionals. In other words, they started their career. They're definitely still at the point where they're trying to grow that. You know, they're figuring out their direction. They have some options. Some are still in school, you know, and thinking about mm-hmm. what they may want their future to be like. What advice would you have for someone at that point in their career journey early on based on what you know now? So here's some of the things that I almost universally share. I even get a chance to message this even into some high school career group type meetings that I'm invited to. Math and English still are fundamental. The ability to not just have knowledge or understanding of whatever the subject matter is, and I don't care what the subject matter is. It could be technical. It could be whatever it is, but our ability to communicate is key. So to be a good communicator, to be able to you know write effectively, communicate well is absolutely absolutely essential. So I'm a big fan of just saying, don't look at it and say, because it's not numbers, I don't need to worry about it. It's all about communication. And that's essential for every single person who walks this planet. So I'm big on that one. You know, the fundamentals of math for sure. You know, so when you think about STEM, absolutely. But from there, you know, where do you go from there? I think too often what I sometimes observe is people trying to bite off something that's either too large or they lack a lot of focus. And so I always tell folks, have a broad understanding and be in a mindset of lifelong learning, by the way. You'll never, ever stop learning, especially in today's world that we all live in. So it's a constant learning, constant growing kind of mindset. So make sure that your understanding, your knowledge base is broad, but your focus is narrow. And so when you think about what it is you want to do, think about what your value prop is, your value proposition. Where do you bring value to your employer, to any company that you might start? Think about where you're going to put and have a narrow, have a very highly you know, precise you know, target that you're trying to work on and make certain that you do some things to validate that, that that's not just your own thought, that there's things you can do to kind of validate that that's going to be a meaningful value proposition that you can share with others. So broad knowledge, narrow focus, and great ability to communicate, I think, are all, you know, just cornerstones. That's some great advice. Broad knowledge, narrow focus. I like that. I'm actually taking some notes here. (laughs) That's terrific. (laughs) I love it. Well, I really do end every podcast with the same three questions, and we probably should get to those. The first one's usually the easiest for our guest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? 
Oh, so I would say recognition amongst my peers has been really something that I am humbled by and truly touched by over all the years. I've been uh, privileged enough to be recognized across a number of different groups for what the, some of the things that I've done over the years. So whether it's the Accounting Today Top 100, it's a CPA Practice Advisor Top 25 Thought Leader, it's part of that kind of validating that it's not just my own opinion that others feel like there's been some some value there. And I got to tell you that that's just incredibly humbling and gratifying. You know, anytime I had an opportunity to enjoy that. That is special for sure. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you could tell us about the situation, the better, of course, because that's how we really learn. (laughs) The fundamental lesson is to don't avoid the difficult things. And those difficult things are going to take different forms throughout your career, whether it's calling clients and asking for payment, whether it's talking to employees about something that's uh, difficult, making those hard decisions. I think all of us are excited to do the fun stuff, but you know, really so much of the growth, so much of the forward movement happens when we're also making certain that we're dealing with the difficult stuff as well. And so, like I said, whether it's personnel, whether it's client-based, and so, you know, like I said, whether you got to call a client, ask for money, whether you have to let an employee go because it's not a good fit. They're not what the organization needs. And ultimately, it's not a good fit for them either because they've got other talents that are, are going to essentially be better valued elsewhere. And so, but too often, I think people wait too long to do the difficult things. And that's a daily thing, by the way, too. That's not just a, every once in a while, you got to deal with it. I, I One of my colleagues has uh, said, you know, every morning I start my day at my desk. The first thing I do is kiss a frog. And I'm going, excuse me? And it's, it's like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you got to get the ugly stuff out of the way first thing. And he said, I look at my to-do list and I realize I could do when I got to get it all done. But if you do the, the tough stuff first, the day gets a whole lot better in a hurry because you've got the difficult stuff out of the way. But it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. There's always going to be challenging things. Don't shy away from that because that's where the growth and the forward progress comes from just as well. There we go. Spoken like a true business owner, by the way. <laughs> Don't avoid yes. <laughs> Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I would just think in my college days, I worked for a controller. She gave me, she was a great mentor for me and gave me lots of good advice. You know, she just said, look, no matter what you do, you have to give it your all. And whether it's uh, sweeping a stock room or, you know, sitting in the boardroom and everything in between, I think too often people get this mindset of I'll give my best when my best is required. And her advice was, no, your best is required every day because you'll stand out. People will see that. It's a mindset of always doing your best. And you never know where that's going to come back and pay dividends. So I just appreciate it even back in the very, very early days when she just kind of helped me adopt that mindset. And, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so it played to my strengths. So I was lucky in that regard. But I always had that attitude ever since. And I think that that bears fruit when you're in front of a prospect and they say, wow, you showed up like nobody else has shown up. And most everybody else just kind of went through the motions and you, you wowed us. So again, the evidence is you'll see it. Like I said, it bears fruit, but show up, do your best no matter what it is, because there's nothing beneath any of us. We all only get one round at this. So bring your best every day and you won't ever be disappointed in yourself. Beautiful. Well, that really is great advice to end this on. I have to say, I I knew we were going to talk about technology, but it didn't occur to me just how much good general business 
good entrepreneur advice we were going to get out of this interview. So thank you for being so open. This really was Oh, absolutely. I really appreciated the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Well, that was our interview with David C. Slack, and I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed it. Interestingly enough, just a couple days after we recorded this, I was looking online at some information on the Consumer Electronics Show, and frankly, I was a little jealous. <laughs> I'm sure you had a lot of fun there at the show. They're unveiling a lot, a lot of interesting stuff this year. Some of the takeaways from this interview that I personally had are, number one, just how he has allowed his deep-hearted early interest of science and technology and engineering to continue to influence his direction in life and how, frankly, he has a much happier career and overall life, I'm sure, because of that. And then secondly, I really appreciated just the general business advice that he sort of peppered throughout the interview. There's a lot of value in that. For, for everybody, and particularly for those business owners or people that are thinking about owning their own business at some point later in their career, he really did share a lot of insights with us, and I very much appreciate it. If you did find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online. Once again, you can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com, and please do leave us feedback. Just click on that top menu item, Ask Mark, and you can leave us feedback in your own voice. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, any other episode, or just just any general questions you have. Once again, it's at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast, and we will see everyone next week. There's more to come. <music>